the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Afternoon, everybody. Beautiful day out there. <laughs> Assuming that you uh, have an ark in your backyard. Uh, but anyway, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Steve Jobs. If a man is called a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven, all the earth, will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. The best preparation for good work tomorrow is to do good work today. Ain't that the truth? All right. Well, um, by the way, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about some lists and the wealth plan and a whole bunch of other stuff on this show. And if you'd like to get that information, you go to WHK's webpage, down the local podcast, go down to the Smart Investor Show. It'll take you directly to my webpage. So if you want to sit down and uh, have a cup of coffee, talk about things, these lists. By the way, I, I've had a whole bunch of people who are not clients call in for a wealth plan. And I, I can't tell you, without a plan, you got no chance. So I, I had a business owner call me. and. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. So I went into, uh, you know, I've got a whole team of people behind me, all right, and a whole bunch of people, uh, Minneapolis, New York, you name it, even Cleveland, even Westlake. And these were some of the, uh, the guy's a business owner, and I, he said, you know, why? And I said, well, look, you know what the key priorities are for your business over the next several years? You know, whether you're going to grow, you're going to acquisition, are you going to sell, you know, whatever. What obstacles do you see impending those priorities or opportunities? And how do you plan to pay for l- large purchases? Would you prefer a different payment option? You know, there's a there's a credit access line out there for you if you like. You know, we do those all the time. I've I've got a young lady who, who bought the house next to her so she can move in there while they're redoing her house, <laughs> and then she's going to sell the place and she's just taking a short term loan. So. What are the long-term plans for your solution? Do you want to own it, upgrade it, or rent it? You know, are you budgeting for your purchases? You know, that type of thing. That's all the stuff we do in a wealth plan for a business, okay? For an individual, we can tell you if your plan's going to succeed. We can give you probabilities. You know, the other part is your hard work, uh, obviously. Uh, but I, I had a whole bunch of people in the last month uh, who are not clients. Send in for the wealth plan questionnaire. I think it's a great idea. So uh, I was listening to Lori Calvacina. As you know, she's our head strategist. And uh, she saw three 
big things that you needed to know this week. Uh, first, she tweaked their numbers for the S&P 500 earnings per share forecast up modestly about a buck, maybe two to 220 for 2023 and 229 for 2024. Now, she left her year-end price target at 42.50 for the S&P 500. So she thinks, you know, uh, you know, there's potential upside to 4,800 in that model, by the way. Uh, but she thinks the gains in the index so far have have been deserved. But we become concerned that the rally in S and P 500 is due for a pause, which several people have said. Second, we continue to see tactical challenges for the growth trade right at the moment. Uh, though we continue to like growth over value longer term. And third, and this is you know, Lori was the head small cap strategist for a firm for eight years, and she was darn good at it. <laughs> so this is interesting. Small caps continue to look more appealing on, in her work anyway, broadly, much more broadly than large caps. And she remains comfortable adding exposure there, despite the near-term risks, you know, to market direction, you know, that are pretty broad at this point. So it, it's purely a housekeeping exercise on the, you know, moving the earnings up. Uh, you know, and I think that's important, uh, but she's still not getting overly bullish. You know, she's she's up in the numbers, which is positive, but she's not saying it's a home run yet. So uh, she's leaving her price target at 4250 with that possible upside to 4800 So we'll see what happens. And the, the uh, you know, the valuation earnings test admittedly suggests the S&P 500 could end at the higher end of the range, the 4,800. So she, she acknowledges that. And, and, uh, I think she's, you know, uh, she's kind of leaning both ways is <laughs> what it comes down to. But the three of three of the models she uses in targeting process have deteriorated recently. So that's why she's saying there are, you know, there are two cross that asset models, and one sentiment model. And remember, we've been talking about sentiment now is is much more bullish than it has been, and and it's important, I think, to look at uh, several different models. So you know, well, I mean, they were cautious back in May; they shouldn't have been, but nevertheless have been improving, which gave us some confidence and up in the price target and all that good stuff. But uh, look, I think there's some tactical challenges for large cap growth trade right at the moment. I mean, several of these big names have broken below their 50-day moving average. But, you know, coming into twenty, uh, the second quarter of 23 reporting season, uh, she highlighted how earnings might give the stock market an excuse to shift leadership from growth to value. And a few weeks into that, we find that growth has stalled, but hasn't collapsed. I don't think I don't think it's going to either, but we think it, this may just be the beginning of pause in long, large cap growth leadership. Uh, so growth hasn't been quite as dominant from the earnings standpoint perspective. Earnings sentiment has been strongly in favor of growth this year, as growth has enjoyed uh, you know a higher rate of upward revision, revisions than uh, the rest of the market. But the growth positioning is looking stretched at this point. So uh, you know. You put the weekly data from the CFTC, Asset Managers Position, and NASDAQ 100 minis has moved a little bit above the range that 
that has been for the last five, six years. Look, I, I think growth still looks extremely expensive relative to value. And that's one of the key things. Uh, you know, value is looking real good. I'm seeing a shift in leadership, um, and we'll talk about that later. But growth inflows have turned to outflows in the last two weeks. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at mutual funds or ETFs, they're starting to move away from that. So, um, you know, right at the moment, we continue to like value over growth. That's what it comes down to. And I think that's important. And we remain cognizant that the positioning valuation flow backdrops could be resolved quite quickly. <laughs> you know, remember what Rob Schleimer said, the rotation nation, okay? Um, she's, she's sticking with her small cap overweight. She said the balance sheet fears seem very, very overweighted there uh, or overblown, shall we say. And she said, uh, like large cap, small cap balance sheets are in much better shape than they've been in the past and can weather the impact of, you know, several Fed, uh, Fed hikes. And the Fed cuts are expected to come in 2024. She doesn't think they're going to happen this year. She's been saying that for some time. Uh, so if you look at in, in interest rate and balance sheet discussions, it's also important to remember that while small caps typically underperform during Fed hiking cycles, they typically outperform in the easing phases. So just remember that. Keep that in the back of your mind. And large caps, advantage on earnings sentiment is eroding, okay, just as growth has been far stronger than value in the last year. Large cap has long, large, you know, largely been stronger than small cap. So, you know, small caps underperformed for a long, long time. So just keep that in mind. And investor re-engagement with small cap still seems to be in the early innings. And I think that's what's important. I think, you know, you might even be in the first inning. Uh, based on the weekly data from, you know, the, the CFTC, uh, you know, the net position in Russell 2000 contracts is back to the highs of the past few years, but the net long position is still fairly modest. So uh, remember, everybody bailed out of those because of the banks a while back this year. So the, the small caps are attractively valued and and the fund flows are improving. So keep that in the, in the back of your head, okay? Uh, now, um, look, I, We've had this extended rally. You know, it's been a runaway rally. Stock market rally off the washed out lows from last fall ran further and far longer than most had expected. You know, we, we said back in September, and this is Tim Hayes speaking, that I thought we were at bottom, okay? Um, outperformance obviously has been largely powered by a handful of surging tech and tech-related stocks. And, you know, they have outside weight in the benchmark index. So, I mean, if you're in the, you know, if, if you're in the, fan, you know, the Fantastic Seven or the Wonderful Seven or whatever they call them, I mean, you could be up 35, 36% if that's all you had in your in your account, okay? Uh, but the NASDAQ composite's up about 25% and, and the S&P 500's up about 15 because those companies are weighed so heavily in the indexes. So, but the stock market and some better than forecast economic data have once again raised hopes that the U.S. economy could experience the soft landing everybody's talking about. We'll find out the hard way. Uh, the, the problem with that is, is then the Fed won't lower rates. <laughs> so, you know, you don't, you don't know what's going on here. But notwithstanding uh, all the above, you know, the compelling valuations of last autumn are long gone. 
And we think the rally has some time left to run, but I think there's going to be a switch in leadership. So, you know, that's something you got to, you know, people have been asking me, okay, what should I do? I think that, you know, our position since this rally began is to to leave the equity portfolios invested up to a level that is typical for a long-term investor. Uh, You know, we talked about the, the, you know, the, uh, the barbell approach. And I, I think uh, it would take more of the fear of missing out, the FOMO, to keep the this advance keep going. Now, remember, we talked about that four-year cycle, which we'll talk about again in, in the uh, later on the show. And you know that four-year cycle starts 2024. We'll just leave that leave that as as it is. Uh, the, the payrolls came out this week and, and they took the steam out of the market a little bit. So we'll see what happens, you know, going forward with that. And I, and I, and I think, uh, oops, I'm screwing up here. Um, you know, we, we keep talking and, you know, we tend to be early, uh, but some of the smart people are starting to move away from North America. Not in a, you know, not a hundred percent or anything like that, far from it, but, you know, there's a preference for U.S. equities, and it's proven to be very beneficial for investors over the past decade. Um, we believe that an allocation to international developed market equities is warranted, uh, given their potential to diversify sources of returns or relatively, I mean, they're very low valuations, and the possibility of benefit, benefiting from the shift away from globalization. So, you know, over the past 10 years, U.S. equities have just significantly outperformed their international developed peers uh, since 2013, actually. So the S&P 500 has generalized annualized returns of 13.6% through uh, July of 2023. So pretty good. Uh, And a lot of it's been concentrated in a a small amount of stocks. That's the problem, though. So we, we, we see some things in Europe, you know, faster economic expansion and corporate earnings growth in the U.S., uh, I mean, in the U.S. versus Japan and Europe, and that may change. And the sector composition of the U.S. market, which gives greater weight to tech and tech-related stocks, that's been the, the main driver, okay? The general strength of the U.S. dollar against the euro in the end has been the other culprit here. So, um, you know, a persistent outperformance has led investors to increasingly favor U.S. stocks, and they're forgetting about the... the uh, you know, developed Europe and developed uh, Asia. And so we'll, we'll see if that continues. But, you know, get remember, U.S. stocks don't always outperform. Okay. So at the beginning of the year, remember, the developed nations did much better for the first two months. So we'll see. Um, you know, the, the dollar, if the dollar gets weak, things could get really kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, very, very interesting as, as far as I'm concerned. Now, uh, I well let let's uh let's continue here. You know, if if you look at the PE ratio of America, we're, we're 22 times earnings at this point. It's a pretty high number. Uh whereas, you know, if you look at Europe, it's much lower than that. So, you know, the the question is can Europe grow? And that's that's the million dollar question right here. So, there's been some financial stress at the corporate level. Um you know, if if you look at our people in the UK, they recently hi- highlighted a, a June 
Fed staff note that calculated the proportion of non-financial firms in financial distress at 37% had reached a higher level than during the most previous Fed tightenings. Okay, so, you know, back in the 70s. So that reveals that historically there has been a bigger decline in business investment among distressed firms than among the healthy firms in response to monetary tightening shocks. So that could cause some problems. And the other, you know, mortgage refinancing has become very problematic. Uh, A typical new U.S. 30-year mortgage now sports an interest rate of 6.7%. That's double what it was a year ago or two years ago. I'm sorry. Uh, so, you know, there's some problems here and, 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 you know, does that mean profit margins are getting squeezed? Well, total revenues on all U S manufacturing distribution businesses have declined about 2.5% since last June. So the employment index suggests worker compensation has risen 5%. So there's a squeeze there going on. Now, will, will that change going forward? Um, you know, will we have a recession? It's a soft landing uh, for the U.S. economy. Who knows? Uh, there's just a lot of people more bullish right now than they have been. So historical probabilities, if we look at those, you know, they kind of inform our expectations. Remember, the past doesn't normally repeat itself, but it rhymes, right? And so, well, let's just put it this way. There's a possibility the S&P earnings will come in below current estimates because of the raise in interest rates. It's that simple. All right. So, hey, let's take a break. Uh, the Smart Investor Show will be right back. Stay tuned. All through this song and sleepless night, I hear my neighbors talking, saying that out of my life, another's arms is so Rags, they're really important, and I don't mind saying so. Or even getting called the ragged man by my boys. You see, from my earliest days apprenticing with Lee Newberg, I learned about the four things required of a true professional plumber. Answer the phone when the customer calls. Show up on time. Do what you say you're going to do. And clean up your mess. That's it. And cleaning up your mess is one of the most important parts. It's one reason why Lee and I loved working for the older Eastern European ladies in Cleveland. They always had plenty of well-laundered rags, and they let us use them. It just made the job cleaner and easier. Plus, they were great ladies. You know, we've always been blessed with the best customers in Cleveland. Nowadays, my sons often find me by the washing machine at the office cleaning and folding rags. That's how I got named the Rag Man, and I take it as a compliment. Because clean rags, and plenty of them, are an essential component to the Wallacadoodle experience. Consider it done at WyattWorks.com. License number 30185. Hugh Hewitt is outraged by the latest Trump indictment. I'm very balanced and cold about these things. I try to do my best to read the indictment. The new Trump indictment is an assault on American democracy. He's on trial for his life. I mean, he'd go to prison for the rest of his, of his years. It is truly a revulsion. I, I can't get over it. I was thinking about it all night long again. The Hugh Hewitt Show, weekday mornings at 6, right before Bob Fratz at 9, on AM 1420. The Answer. And Odyssey. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. 
Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Okay, we're back, folks. Little hang on floopy. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you know, sometimes I go off on tangents, but I, I also has talked about some industries very early, okay? And I talked about oil and gas, and people thought I was nuts, and then oil and gas went crazy. And then I talked about this thing called the cloud. People thought I was nuts. But anyway, I'm going to talk about generative AI, which you've heard probably too much about, but it will become an increasingly significant demand driver. Uh, we think it's going to provide a 20% or greater tailwind to the existing hyperscale absorption of data center capacity with energy supply being a key variable. You know, so the power for these high-density AI workloads is pushing density ranges to between 20 kW per rack to 40 kW per rack and some specialized computing operations, hotspot densities of 60 kW per rack. These densities already exist, and they will become more prevalent in the future, uh, driving averages across newer data centers, campuses higher, okay? This is important because existing data centers' designs have kept up with power density requirements to localize cooling techniques. That's not going to be the case anymore, okay? So people ask me, all right, what do we need to know about uh, AI? First of all, most of the companies in the the broader sector postings strong financial performance. The earning surprises have been attributed to AI. Cloud dominance. Cloud services were a major direct or indirect driver of revenue growth for many companies Uh, As as the demand for cloud infrastructure and services continues to rise as businesses are undergoing this digital transformation. Now, we talked about this back in 2020 at the bottom of the pandemic. We talked about this. Our analysts said this is going to drive the digital transformation much much quicker. The AI or artificial intelligence remains a key focus for a lot of these companies with significant investments in AI technology and services. AI is seeing integration into multiple aspects of business operations right now, all right, including cloud, data centers, and even on the OPEC side, uh, sales and marketing, okay? So what we're finding is there's GPU shortages. Some companies face challenges related to GPU shortages and and pressuring their ability to meet demand for AI and graphic processors. Shortages are being managed through their strategic partnership and investments. That's something you should know because there are certain companies that you don't know about that I do (laughs) uh, that are pretty prevalent here. Companies are heavily invested in expanding their data center infrastructure to support that growing demand for cloud services, the digital transformation we talked about, AI, okay? 
you know, Sashi Nadella was on the TV saying he thinks he's going to have to multiply the number of servers they have by four times. That's a lot. So what you're going to see is CapEx growth is going to be on the rise. Companies increasingly are going to put more money into data centers, AI infrastructure, and cloud computing to support their future growth and their innovation for the company. All right. So there's going to be strategic partnerships. Companies are forming strategic partnerships within the industry to enhance their offerings, their capabilities, particularly in the cloud and the AI space. So the cloud's not going away. And we talked about that in 2004, folks. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Imagine if you would have bought some of those names in that period. So, look, we, we have a lot of names that we can talk about in, in that group. But I think what's important, you know, there, look, generative AI is, is a type of artificial intelligence technology that can produce various types of content, including text, imagery, audio, and synthetic data. So it interfaces include ChatGPT, which is Microsoft, Bard, Gold, you know, all these names. But to train AI models, companies pack thousands of these GPUs into a data center and run them at full capacity for extended periods of time, consuming unbelievable amounts of of electricity, all right? You know, I mean, you're talking about some of the stuff that, you know, the the GPU units or one of those big companies, it takes more power than it would to be to supply 10,000 homes for two months. How's that? So AI is interfencing requirements should entail more decentralized architecture uh, with what they call inference nodes, potentially arising in connectivity-centric locations. So there's some big, big stuff going on here that companies are going to make a lot of money on, and you can too. All right. So, you know, the cloud, we said, was going to 300 billion. Now we think AI is going to 300 billion plus. it's a cloud scale opportunity and it, it's going to take cloud with it. Okay. And the other thing you're going to have to take, you're, you're not only going to take cloud with you, but you're going to take the security companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's going to be lots of opportunities. There's some key companies that I think you have to have. There's some smaller companies that may be, you know, the, the roll of the dice type of thing, but could be huge, huge uh, numbers. But, Look, uh, there's several companies with a revenue growth rate. It's going to be 12% for the cloud during the second quarter. 12% as the Fed's raising interest rates, okay? CapEx investments, including uh, capital expenditures and equipment finance leases, were $54 billion for the trailing 12, 12 months. Slightly over $50 billion so far in, in 2023, by the way. You know, look, there's companies at the forefront of this generational AI that I think are going to be big, but they're investing heavily in key th- three key layers, okay? They're going to compute for tra- uh, training foundation models, their large language models as a service, and actual applications running on top of those models. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of stuff going on here that, I mean, it, it could be 
big, big numbers going forward for a lot of these companies. And the more I think about it, the more excited I get. I've spent a little bit of time on this in the last couple of weeks, and I probably will in the ensuing couple of weeks too. So remember, um, we always talk about these four-year cycles, and the current four-year cycle ends in 2024. Now, they're not going to ring a bell, okay? They're not going to say, hey, <laughs> we're, start, we're starting the new cycle. That's not the way it works, folks, okay? Uh, but we have these cycles, these four-year cycles within these 16- to 18-year uh, cycles. And those 16- to 8-year cycles are structural bulls, which I think we're in now, and structural bears, okay? So the technical backdrop continues to support the case that the four-year cycle has established a low in the, probably, you know, either the third quarter or fourth quarter of 2022, similar to, the, you know, many of the prior four-year cycles that have developed during secular bull markets. And what they do is they they stop at their 200-week moving average and then start, I mean, if you look at the, the S&P 500, stopped right at the 200-week moving average and held. Uh, so, we bottomed in the fourth quarter, and the monthly cycle indicators tracking two- to four-year moves continued to build to the upside with participation expanding beyond the dominant technology uh, area. And so the cyclicals is what we're talking about. Now, you know, he talks about in the longer-term picture, you know, the, the, these big growth stocks will come back, but the, we're seeing movement into the energies, the financials and the industrials. So I think the longer term picture uh, profiles for international equities have improved uh, for the market has improved over the last six to nine months with the monthly cycling indicators continuing to build to the upside after bottoming once again in the fourth quarter. So on a relative performance basis, the S&P 500 right now, there's no meaningful change in their leadership yet. Okay. What we'll find is we'll see the relative strength start to break out, and then we'll talk about that. But with most global markets, they've yet to reverse those long-term downtrends, so the relative strength is not there yet. But you got to pay attention because they're cheap, you know, and that's what everybody looks for. So incrementally, we're seeing some improvement developing uh, in the overall trend for most markets, and we're transitioning from you know the the great bear market declines of twenty one. 2021-2022 to bottoming and improving trends through the second and third quarter. Now, we do think we're going to go sideways for a while. So uh, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Stay tuned. Looking for a rugged, reliable truck without breaking the bank? Well, look no further than our friends at Ganley Chevy in Aurora. They have inventory and deals that won't last long. And if you're concerned about interest rates, well, Chevy has a great offer for you on 2023 Silverado 1500 trucks. Interest rates at 1.9 for 36 months, 3.9 for 60 months, and 5.9 for 72 months. 
Buying a new car or truck should be a fun experience. In the dealership, well, it makes all the difference. And that's why we chose Ganley Chevy of Aurora for our truck purchase. We just love our Silverado. And everyone over at Ganley Chevy of Aurora, they're great. I love that they're part of the community. It's not just about selling cars. They really do consider you their friends and neighbors. Ganley Chevrolet in Aurora, 310 West Garfield in Aurora or online, ganleychevyaurora.com. Find new roads. Cleveland's got guts. And the Indians. As well as the Browns and Cavaliers. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And a downright awesome downtown with a walla-cadoodle-worthy waterfront. But what's even in our water? Now, I'm a guy, and I've lived here all my life. Neither hard water nor chlorine bother me a bit. Well, I had White Works put in a whole home water filtration system. It tastes better, and showering is so much better. My hair washes clean and stays healthier. And I've got a regular old water heater. I've got tankless for endless hot water. So what's our point? Our point is, why it works is Cleveland's answer for water heaters. Well, if you're a regular guy and just want same-day water heater service, why it works does that. And if you want a water softener or a filtration system and want to go tankless, we do that too. So get your water wallacadoodled with why it works. Consider it done at whyitworks.com. License number 30185. TV news. It's a love-hate relationship. Well, let's be honest, more hate. We agree. That's why we're different. Salem News Channel has assembled the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. Home to Charlie Kirk, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, and more. There's finally a place on TV for lovers of freedom like you. Watch anytime, on any screen, free, 24-7. Find what you're looking for at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's easy to get lost. Look to RBC Wealth Management to guide you. Our experienced, knowledgeable financial advisors will build your investment strategy by designing a plan that's tailored to your unique financial needs. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Visit rbcwealthmanagement.com. Okay, if you uh, just tuned in, we were just talking about international equities where we're we're seeing some nice technical profiles, uh, but relative to the S&P 500, they have not turned the corner yet. So that's why we, you know, we keep talking about, hey, you got to watch these things. All right. Uh, Now, look, technology and growth stocks dominated the equity market leadership through the first half of the year. What we're seeing is it's continuing to broaden the more cyclical groups. Uh, Many cyclicals right now are overbought with the exception of a couple uh, groups. But the longer term, the improving technical profiles, we expect pullbacks through the seasonally weak third quarter to be relatively shallow. Okay, so we expect some some weakness, uh, some volatility to increase here in the next couple of weeks. Um, But just remember. And this is where you got to think long term because too many people run their portfolio like a gambling operation. All right. These generational cycles last 16 to 18 years. Sure, you gave back a little bit in, in 2021. Okay. And 2022, it started up again. All right. So, but remember 1987, the, the crash, and 1990. 
when Saddam Hussein rolled into town. They were both 25% corrections. And they occurred in one of the greatest bull markets in history, maybe the greatest bull market in history. So remember, these last 16 to 18 years, so, I mean, we probably could see a peak in, in 2034 if that continues. Remember, they, they peak. You, you see, sometimes they go out with a whimper. Some companies go out with a bang like in 2000. So, but I think we still have plenty of time left. And we're getting close to the end of this four-year cycle. So, you know, that's important. now. Let's say we did the same thing we did from 1929 to uh, 1965. That was a 2,300% correction, I mean, uh, gain. And then if we did the same thing from 1982 to 2000, it was a 2,300% correction, I mean, a gain, okay? Actually, a bottom in 1974 and 5. And so if we bottom in, in 2009 and we go up just 2,000%, We'd be at 13,500 to 14,000. It'd be a big move, okay? Uh, so, you know, just remember we're at about 4,500 right now in the SP 500. And I've been saying this since we were 3,600. So it's a long term scenario. We do have that repetitive four year cycle big move, downward move, another move, back down again, and then you take off for a while. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, the other thing we talked about is the monthly four-month and 13-month moving average that our good friend Bob Dickey, uh, who's in retirement now, was our head head technician back then. He always used this because it straightened things out. When the four-month crossed over the 13-month, you got to pay attention, which it just did. That's usually the start of a bull market. And we had the highest, you know, we look at a histogram. And we look at the moving averages, and the momentum was the highest I'd ever seen it. And then it was the lowest I'd ever seen it, all within a year and a half. So it's positive again. Now, this, you know, this is important, uh, I think, because it's a longer-term trend. And it's, you know, the 13-month moving average, when you break above that, that's important. So the faster-moving, four-month moving average has turned up, and as at the end of uh, March of 2023, because this is a longer term thing, it crossed above the 13 month moving average. That has turned the trend positive. Another way to track this relationship is uh, to measure the vertical distances between the two moving average and plot it as a histogram, which is what we're talking about right now. So, uh, very important. The other thing I noticed is this last couple of weeks in Rob Schleimer's work, who's our head technical guy now. And a very good one, by the way. You know, what he looks at is that relative performance between stocks and bonds. Stocks have started to outperform bonds, uh, which is very interesting. The other thing we'll talk about is the seasonality. Remember, September is probably the worst month of the year. And everybody thinks it's October because that's when bottoms occur. But no, it's September. Uh, usually June and September um, are the two worst. So, if, if you do monthly seasonality, by the way, February now, has, you know, since 2000, February's been a bad month and June's been a bad month and September's been the worst month. So uh, since 1928, it's definitely September. <laughs> uh, but I want to just mention again, the bulls are now at 45%. When we started getting real bullish back in September of last year, they were at 15, okay? The bears were at 60. 
they are now at 24. We've reversed a little bit. I think we need to get, a, uh, you know, a, a little bit more frightened is what it comes down to. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I, you know, people have forgotten that uh, you can, you can get, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an opportunity in most cases to, uh, you know, when you get that bullish, you're going to have a pause. Okay. But it will this time, I think, be an opportunity to buy, not to sell. Okay. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying these things aren't going to pull back. All right. But look, we continue to look at the longer term backdrop to be positive. We got a little bit overbought. Uh, we expect some further weakness in the coming weeks. Uh, this week's trading has been noteworthy as the equity markets, you know, they're, they're showing signs of peaking short term and are now testing the, their support, like their 20 day moving average. In some case, they broke their 50 day moving average of some of the big names. Uh, the bottom line is investors should prepare for kind of a, some further choppy markets. I do see some things, you know, look, uh, the NASDAQ composite, the S&P are right at some critical resistance areas. So keep that in the back of your head. And, you know, it's, it takes some time to break through those, okay? Because the first time you go up, you say, ah, I'm going to back off. Second time you back off. So, you, you know, you got to think about stuff like that. Now, the other thing is the 10-year yield is challenging some important technical levels, all right? So it's been trading sideways in a broad range since October of 2022. Uh, 10 years are, are challenging the next important upside band between uh, 4% and 4.1. I touched 4.12% on Thursday, I think. Uh, and so you got, you got to worry about stuff like that because, uh, you know, the next area of resistance is four, four and a quarter to 4.33%. Um, growth stocks don't like when yields go up. All right. Um, and, and I also think if you look at the relative strength, uh, or overbought, oversold situation. It's not really overbought yet. So, um, and I, you know, I, the seasonality. I think you got to remember, and I also think you got to remember the uh, uh, the scenario that we everybody's too bullish. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think value is important, I, and I'm seeing some things in the you know uh, I shouldn't say this. Rob Schleimer's seeing some things in the energy area industrials and some in biotech all right uh he he's got some names that he mentions and i'm not going to mention those right now but he's the relative performance uptrend of growth versus value continues to weaken uh large cap growth versus value following the mid cap and small cap growth versus value lower okay so we expect a pullback you know we're not saying that these things are going to zero or anything like that but the other thing that's interesting is the long-term profile for the high beta cyclicals versus the low volatility safety remains very bullish in a, in a near-term pause, you know, underway following some strong rebounds and a lot of cyclicals that we've seen. So keep that in mind. And uh, like I said, I think it's important that stocks have broken out versus bonds. So everybody's put their money in short-term paper. And Lori Calvacina said, uh, uh, and, and I didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, but, you know, there's $6.75 trillion in money markets. It's an all-time high. 
And another, like, $5 trillion went into bonds. But they're short-term bonds. That might be kindling for the fire. I mean, that's Tim Hayes' thought, not anybody else's. Now, I will say this. The quadrant, uh, the weekly quadrant balance data, which is uh, one a, a piece that Rob Schleimer uses uh, to determine momentum, it, it had been rising quite a bit, is now showing some ongoing evidence of weakening. Okay, so that the momentum's kind of given up a little bit. It, it 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 peaked close to the overbought area at eighty. Didn't hit eighty, but it came close. Uh, so, like I said, I think it, you got to muddle around for a while. There's some important bands. Uh, you know, daily momentum remains negative right at the moment. Uh, it's getting to the zero line, so it would you know a bounce from near term levels is likely. Um, yeah, so P500 option still intact. You know, we don't expect a substantial rebound to be developing or anything like that, but we have some support at the 44, uh, 48 level and then at 4325 level. All right. Um, and then it gets down to the 4200 level. So, uh, don't know if it's going to get there or not, but those are the support areas that Rob Slimer identified. So weekly momentum is peaking in the NASDAQ. All right. Uh, so it's probably going to stall, you know, uh, the resistance is at 14,767. Uh, so we'll just keep that, keep that in the back of your head. Uh, but the long-term uptrend remains intact. But, you know, with, you, with the momentum weekly and daily, both negative, uh, I think your first support begins at the levels of 13,873, uh, followed, and then 13,560, and then 13,150. So, it's, you know that's that could that could hurt a little bit. Uh, now, what's interesting is the Russell 2000s rebound is nearing uh, next resistance. So uh, that that's another scenario. That's the small caps that Lori Calcivina talked about. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. This is Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Legendary Ladies of Motown, a tribute to Donna Summer. Tina Turner. And the Supremes. Thursday, August 17th at La Malta Event Center in Metter. And Friday, August 18th at Williams on the Lake in Medina. Karen Durant, the hardest working woman in show business, becomes Diana Ross, Donna Summer, and Tina Turner. Backed by two singer-dancers, they belt out hits like Stop in the Name of Love, Last Dance, and Proud Mary. Don't miss the legendary ladies of Motown. Tickets are on sale now. To learn more, visit rsmevents.com. That's rsmevents.com. To order Order tickets, call 216-744-7090. That's 216-744-7090. Wouldn't it be nice to keep income rolling in even long after you retire? At RBC Wealth Management, we can help you invest for the future that you want. 
and create a personalized plan to help you create the steadfast flow of income you'll need throughout your retirement. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA, SIPC. Black and white TV. <laughs> Who remembers that out there? Uh, I had a lot of questions this week uh, from callers uh, into my office, and they were asking about bonds. And I think uh, our people are starting to uh, look. September, August, and September seasonally is not the best time to be in stocks, as we talked about. And the long treasuries are getting close to 5%. And so what they're suggesting is that, you know, you might want to lengthen your your time frame a little bit. And uh, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, you could do as you wish. But uh, anyway, so look, I, I, I think there's a really good opportunity here uh, with this pause in the market. We're going, Everybody's going back to school pretty soon. Ah, I said it. Uh, you know, and maybe it's time you sit down and do a wealth plan. Maybe it's time you sit down and get your yourself organized. All right, because there's there's all sorts of things that uh, you know w- we have for you that we can get you organized, get you a plan going. And like, like I said, uh, a lot of these people who are you know we're we're do not have accounts, okay? We had 14 people call in for the for the wealth plan, and none of them have accounts here. Uh, so we, you know, we'd love to have you on board. Don't get me wrong, but um, we are willing to offer that to people. And I think we're we're not going to be doing that uh, too much longer. But um, you know, we also have the ability for you to fill out some forms where you can put everything about your financial life into a family inventory workbook. So. I can't tell you, you're getting back to school. Maybe it's time you sat down, did the wealth plan, did the family inventory workbook. Now, I've had some people say, oh, I have it on PDF file. That's great. Does the PDF file say what's the probabilities? Does it tell you what happens if this happens? You know, no, it doesn't. That's why you use the wealth plan. So, look, I, I think this is a really good time right now to be looking at a couple things. Um, and and I, you know, we have our best equity ideas for 2023. I looked through these and, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, kind of interesting. You know, we, we've got some names on here that I think I could, you know, continue to do well over the period of time. But the dividend growth portfolio held up extremely well, as it did the prime income list. And, you know, as yields are going up, these things are under some pressure. But what will happen when yields start to come back? And they'll come back eventually. I think uh, you can't you can't have a tightening cycle like the one we just had, and not have a, uh, a little bit of comeback to the other direction. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, where we go from here. But you know, you want to buy these things when yield is up. Because when yield starts to come down, or even if it stabilizes, remember the dividend growth portfolio, what they're doing 
is they're raising their dividend. You know, the, the criteria is they raise their dividend six to eight percent per year. So just imagine if you're 40 years old right now and you start to buy these things and put them away in dividend reinvestment. By the time you start taking the dividends out, I mean, you could have a seven, eight percent yield that's still growing. That's how you beat inflation, folks. That's how you beat inflation. All right. Dividend growth. You know, look, bonds are great, but they're a deflationary asset. They do better in deflationary times. Now, that may occur in the next couple of years. Okay. We may have another deflationary time because that's what the Fed wants. And, you know, playing cards with the Fed, you don't want to be uh, uh, too aggressive because <laughs> they, they know what's uh, in your hand and in their hand. Okay. So the point is, is that now's the time, you know, dividend stocks have underperformed this year, you know, after outperforming last year. Use the underperformance to buy some of these great names. I mean, there's some names, some of the finest companies in America, in the world, that haven't gone anywhere this year, but down. That means their dividends getting higher and higher and higher. And I would suggest that there's big opportunities in those names. And I think people uh, forget about that and they, you know, they take it from there. But the prime income list, for all you guys that are retired, remember, dividends are taxed at a lower rate than CDs and treasuries. Well, treasuries, that's not true because, you know, they do, you do get state tax uh, taken out of there. Uh, so you're just being, you're just being taxed on the federals. But still, at 18, at 15%, uh, your dividends are still much lower than what you're paying on the treasuries and the CDs. So, Dividends are a good plan for you people out there that are trying to get income, monthly income, and that type of thing. And we can put together a nice portfolio of monthly income for you, you know, that type of thing. So right now is a probably what I'm suggesting is a pretty good time to look at the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list. Also, our small cap list, if if Lori is pushing on small caps, believe me, for eight years she was one of the best in the small cap world. That's why she she got promoted to uh, you know being the head strategist here. So the small cap growth list idea. Uh, and also I think you want to look at, uh, you know, some of the uh, value lists too. All right. Uh, but we, we do have a change in leadership occurring in the stock market. All right. I'm seeing energy, some of the financials and some of the industrials looking much, much better. And uh, I think that'll probably continue for the remaining part of the, of the next quarter anyway. All right. Uh, I do look. I think growth, large cap growth, small cap growth, mid cap growth will come back, but they don't like higher interest rates. And if you look at the ten-year Treasury yield and the thirty-year Treasury yield, they're pressing up against some resistance. And if they break through that resistance, there could be some more downside to some of those growth stocks. All right, uh, that's Rob Schleimer speaking. All right, <laughs> I'm, I'm reading right from his report on that one. So I, I think what you have to do, you know, that barbell approach that we talked about, it's a really good idea. And the other thing I'll mention is, look, family inventory workbook. We're going back to school, folks. The family inventory workbook gets you organized. The wealth plan gives you a clear path to where you want to go. All right. So once you figure out where you want to go, the question is, do you have enough to get there? And 
once you figure out what you want to do, do you have enough to get there? What are the probabilities? So for all of you good people that have a PDF file, says I got all my stuff on a PDF file, that's great. What's the probabilities of you being able to retire well? And that's the key. In the meantime, it's a beautiful day out there. <laughs> it's not raining. <laughs> I haven't seen so much rain since you know Noah's Ark. Anyway, uh, y'all have a great weekend. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.